Welcome to another episode of The Thrifty Marketer Podcast. Today we will be chatting with Eric Patrick Thomas, aka Mr. Inspire. Eric is a Flint, Michigan native, and an entrepreneur who is passionate about changing the way people view disabilities. Eric's passion came after a fateful night in 1997, in which he suffered a spinal cord injury that paralyzed him from the neck down. Throughout this journey, Eric uses his experience to empower resilience and inspire change for people with barriers. Eric sits on several state boards as a voice for people with barriers, and, is an advocate for self-determination living. He is also the proud owner of Easy Awareness by Design, a business specializing in graphic design for custom apparel, signs, and banners which offers on-the-job experience to people of all abilities. Let's listen to Mr. Inspire. All right. So uh, thank you so much, Eric, for joining me because I know I have scheduled and then we had to reschedule. I think I'm so sorry about that. But uh, the the day you first wrote to me till today, uh, I'm so much inspired by you, the kind of work you are doing, your story, etc. So I, I wanted to have this chat as quickly as possible and get to know a little bit about you. Yeah, uh, you know. So I have prepared all my questions based on that. So if you're ready, we can start off. Yeah, sounds Absolutely. great. So, <laughs> all right. So you know, for people who don't know you, Eric, uh, you know, if you can introduce yourself, uh, the kind of work you do, etc., that will be a fantastic starting point for this conversation. Well, um, I I live in Flint, Michigan. Um, I use a power wheelchair. I drive the chair by a sip and puff. So I puff forward, sip backwards, soft sip right, soft sip left. Um, I've been using this power wheelchair for 23 years from oh uh, injury, from getting shot at uh, my one of my uh, my album release party, which we'll get to that later on. Right. Uh, um, I'm an advocate, I'm a volunteer. I put a lot of community events together. Uh, I own a, I'm a business owner. I own a business called Easy Awareness by Design, where we specialize in graphic design, branding, uh, apparel, and marketing materials. We also have a brand called Inspire with the Easy Awareness by Design. And uh, Inspire uh, is uh, just a, it's, it's a brand that uh, empowers people, empowers them to be better, empowers their creativity. Um, it makes positive change. It creates emotion, uh, and we've been—it's just blessed. We've been watching it just, you know, organically grow. It's been beautiful to see that the brand grow. I'm also yeah. a hip hop artist, so I do—I do, I do hip hop music. I rap. Wow. Uh, been doing it for many years. Uh, I did take a, you know, a, a time off when I got shot for like 17 years, but uh, um, great thing of the. You know, I, I came across uh, um, a foundation called the D-Man Foundation, which stands for Danny's Medical Angel Network. And they built a barrier-free music therapy recording studio for people that have disabilities to go in and record music and achieve clinical goals. Um, yeah, I mean, those are, those are the main things. I've also, you know, have shifted, you know, from when I was performing on stage in the beginning with hip hop, um, I, I shifted and was performing on a different stage to people with disabilities. Uh, 
basically going out and speaking, testifying, going to Washington, D.C., getting bills uh, co-sponsored and sponsored and passed in the House and the Senate, um, going to the Capitol here in Michigan. Anytime that there's ever been some cuts on long-term care or the quality of life on a mm -hmm. person, uh, I've been there, you know, especially the last the last uh, 18 years, you know, I've, I've been there, you know, with the, with the help of where my advocacy started was the Disability Network here in Flint. And um, we've done some stuff, you know, we've worked on accessibility. We've done some really good action stuff with ADAPT. ADAPT are like your warriors that come out and surround buses and buildings. Say, nope, right. we're not, we're not, we're not doing, we're not, we're not playing nice. <laughs> We're, we're demanding. We're demanding change. So uh, that's who you call when you don't get results. It's your right. your adapt crew. That's that's the squad you call out. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've been on commercials. I have had chances to to. Um, I've been on film sets. I've worked in. I was on a couple movies. Uh, no speaking roles of those. Oh yeah, no, actually one movie was a speaking role because I'm on I am on Internet Movie Database. Right. Um and I used to be the president of the Flint Film Festival for like nine years. Wow. I've, I've been on a lot of different state boards, you know, from long term care to Michigan Quality Consumer Care Council to the Elevator Safety to the Barrier Free Board. And then here in Flint, I was on the Genesee County, Flint and Genesee County Visitors Bureau Board and Committee. And was committee members on each, um, like their branches for different events that brought tourism to to Flint. So I learned what like what tourism's about, the importance of heads and beds. That's what they call it, and the hotel accommodation <laughs> tax. So right. I've, I've learned that. Um, I also uh, what else did I? Oh, I've owned a record company. I, I tried to start a record company before. Then I closed that. I wrote for an entertainment newspaper for about five or six years. Then that closed down and I did some mentoring. I owned an internet radio station for a little bit. For a while, I had a blanket license through Live 365. And I was, and then internet radio was in trouble in 2006. Uh, the royalty rates were changing and internet right. radio was just not gonna be able to survive the cost of what this, this cha transition was happening. So I actually went to DC with um, um, Live 365 CEO, Yahoo, AOL, Pandora, and we introduced this bill called Internet Radio Equality Act, and we got it passed, and it, and it's it saved internet radio for a while. And then later on, there were loopholes, and I had to shut my station down. Right. So, you know, I've I've done a lot of. Amazing stuff. This is just stuff after my injury. <laughs> I've had a, well, I mean, I have a very full, a very full, full life, and you know, I just love to be able to just live it. You know, I'm grateful for getting up every morning. You know, and being able to just be alive after surviving what I've, what I've been through. Yep. Um. I think that's all the different. I, I'm trying to think if there's anything else like. Just, the, you know, my journey, you know, what I've, right. right. I know that's one of your questions, but I might as well answer it now, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, yes, I mean, that's, 
it's nice. You know, I mean, like it's fulfilled and I feel like I need to fill it more, you know, help more people and uh, still a lot, a lot more life to live. But uh, I've been able to, to make some really big positive changes in this world. Right, right, so, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, why, why be selfish and live for yourself? You know, man, like we should be doing for others. So, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the name Mr. Inspire is perfectly fitting for you because I can't even imagine uh, the kind of things you have gone through and still the kind of things you have done. Uh, in your life for others and you know people standing up for people with disabilities becoming their voice yourself it's 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 mind-blowing for me actually so I'm so grateful that at least via Facebook we got to meet each other and now we are having this chat right so let's uh let's move on to it's gonna get quite emotional I believe for me because I'm a very emotional person uh, uh -oh. right so all right <laughs> so my second question is, you know, uh, you're passionate and instrumental in changing the way people view disabilities and people with disabilities. So how did that journey start? And if you're comfortable, uh, you can share uh, about that horrific accident which happened in your life itself. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, like I said, 23 years ago, I was at my house, my group miscellaneous was celebrating our music project and I went outside to check the parking lot to make sure that people weren't like in my neighbor's, you know, yards and everything was as cool, you know, everything was going well. Yeah. And I was coming back to the house and then I was maybe outside for like five minutes, you know, and then all of a sudden someone from the back, from my back left facing the street, pulled a gun okay. and then they opened fire. I clear my throat. <laughs> so they opened fire. So you heard pop, 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 pop. Well, I got hit. The bullet came in on the left side and then it went up. So it's vertical. It's between my third and fourth vertebrae. And then I spun and it looks like another one grazed the back of my head because it's like a piece of skin that's like raised. Right. You know, the night I fell to the ground, I wasn't able to move anything. Not, not nothing. I wasn't able to get up. I wasn't able to yell out. I wasn't able to do nothing. And I was starting to not be able to breathe. So I was struggling to breathe. Same time, I'm looking up, you know, well, I'm not able to move. So I'm in and out of consciousness. I hear chaos, people screaming, um, people saying someone's been shot, Eric's been shot, all those different things. So then uh, just holding on, you know, and, uh, and I felt like I, things were unfinished. Like I, I was, I needed to do more. It felt like uh, I just reached this goal almost. And it was just like rocked. You know, my world was rocked in one second, less than a second. And even before that, so that was, I was 20 years old. I set out goals and I set out paths. And it seems like I would almost get there. I would never get the chance to accomplish anything. You know, maybe like a sports or a puzzle or a video game. I could play a video game and beat it. You know, <laughs> I could win. I could, uh, you know, 
throw Bowser in the fire and win the princess on Super Mario <laughs> Brothers or something. You know, I was good at those kind of things, but it seemed like when I set out for certain stuff, like projects, like even the, the hip hop stuff, it was always unfinished. We never had a, a like, we were about to press an album and then the group just kind of separated. Then I went, I got it with another person, then we got a group. And we were about that, and then it just diminished. So it's like always something. Right. And that was the night. That was the night we were celebrating, you know? Go a goal achieved. I don't even know if I called it goals back then. I call a lot of things goals now in the last 23 years for sure. You know. But it just uh didn't get there. And right. so from that. I ended up in the hospital. They drilled four screws in your head to stabilize your spine. It's called the halo. Your head's like stuck in this like big metal cage. Then they put tubes down your throat because they intubate you because you're not able to breathe. Right. It's basically a ventilator, life support. And then before you know it, I'm waking up and my mom and stepdad and my dad and stepmom and a few friends and medical, you know, that's kind of like where you learn you're not able to move from the neck down or this thing called being paralyzed or all those different things. But I think you've been through so much. You don't have time to, to, to filter. You're being hit by everything at one time. Right. But your main goal is to survive. So you don't have time to go, well, I'm not able to move my leg right now or my arms or my fingers. Because right now I have to focus on survival, getting stable. Because <laughs> you're in ICU, you're not stable. Right. You know. And that was like every dream turned into a nightmare. I didn't sleep. The only way that I slept is when they put stuff in my IV. And then nobody, like people, just got, they were trying to figure out who did the shooting. It was just it was chaos. It was chaos. And uh, from there, when you're at the hospital, you start learning about uh, rehab, something that's the next step. Right. There's no book. There's no answers. Everybody's just kind of running around trying to figure it out, you know. Um, uh, then, like, I think it was like maybe a week or two after that, they realized, they said I wouldn't breathe on my own again. And... Uh, so that's why they took the tubes out of my mouth and put it in my throat. And I got a right. tracheotomy. So right. now it just moved from a different location. But I was able to eat again, though, after that. So that was nice. I liked eating. <laughs> so it's like every time I eat now, it's a complete experience. Like when I eat food now, it's like gratitude. Like, well, I mean, really, I mean, I've been taken away from everything. So when I can breathe like this, it's gratitude. When I can <laughs> eat, grateful. When I'm able to move my wheelchair and be able to be mobile and be able to talk, and be able to rap again, man. Like the type of things that I see that are gifts and blessings, a person might not be able to see that because it wasn't, they didn't lose it. Right. Not to say that they don't appreciate it. It's just, 
that's how human nature is, you know? Right, right. But from there, um, I had to go to rehab. And the rehab was Craig Hospital out in Denver, Colorado. And that was where they specialized to get people off the ventilator. When I got there, it was like rehab boot camp. I was like, wow. And they wean you off the vent. They turn it off. They do it three times a day, five days a week. And then uh, then when I was also out there, another thing that changed a lot of, well, changed the life, changed everything, changed the whole direction. Um, a priest that prays, like comes into rooms and prays for people. He asked me at that time, I wasn't able to speak. Uh, I was only communicating with eye blinks and tongue clicks. He asked me, uh, do I forgive who or whom shot me? Now remember, I still don't know who did this. There's no investigation happening right now. Nothing. So I was like, yeah, I mean, I moved my mouth. I said it with my mouth, with my heart, my soul, my spirit, everything. Well, everything was all in, you know, I'm all in. So forgiveness was given. And it was like, it was like an anchor to your ship, you know, and you just cut it and you let your ship sail. Right. You know, and you're able to focus that, that it'll never hurt you again. You know, never stop you, never affect you. And you're able to live life, move on with life. And, um, and from there, my screws came out of my head and I was able to start talking. And before I know it, I was getting the, the trachea out and the ventilator that I came home two weeks later. Right. And then the advocacy started, back to your question. Disability yes. Network. The Disability Network is where my start of my advocacy started. And um, Mr. Zelly is where it all started at. And also that's where I was able to start hiring my own caregivers and stuff to take care of me as I would teach them what how my care should be. I was the CEO of my life, basically. <laughs> that's the, kind of what happened. Um, and then that all the advocacy work from there. I learned about what being an advocate was. That's what he said. He said, you're, you know, Mr. Zelly said, you may not believe this now. I'm 20 years old. I just got shot. I'm jacked up. I'm, you know, I'm still trying to figure out life. I'm not even 21 yet, you know. And he said, just get involved. Testify. Tell your story. I'll get you there. We'll get you there. So it's kind of like what happened, you know. Eric, they're making cuts on long-term care. Could put people in nursing homes. Can you? Can can we? Can you be there? Can you go speak at the house? You know. Yeah. Okay. And the next thing you know, there's a van coming to get me and heading to Lansing, and I'm right there, just like you see on TV. You know, in front of the house, where you got so many minutes to talk, and you just gotta do it. You gotta like knock them. You know, if you got two minutes, if that's what it is, you never know what you know. Then you, those are the most like you gotta know what you gotta know how to hit them, and not just like just blah blah blah. No, you gotta like really get into their head and into their heart that they really feel like they know. The other thing is they know your story and they start knowing your name. That's the other thing. You start building your face. 
Right. And then now they know your name. And then when they start making changes on things, they start going, wow, how would that affect Eric or his, you know, the people that we shouldn't do that? Or maybe we should talk to him. Maybe we should call them. Right. Like you're starting to build these relationships. You know, I've been building relationships with the uh, legislators for uh, 23 years now. And I got them on my mobile. Like, I don't mess with their staffers. I call straight to their mobile phone. I'm like, hey, like, look, I got a meeting with you today. What time, you know, how's everything going to go? You got a meeting with me. I'm not even going to be there until 2.30. You've got the, what, 30? You're not meeting with me. You're meeting with my staffer. I'm like, man, we're not going to handle it. We're not going to do it like that. They can come <laughs> by by 3 o'clock. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I mean, so that's where the advocacy work started. And then from there, um, there was an organization called Michigan Partners for Freedom, which I know is one of your things about self-determination. And self-determination is like where we go out and we demand it. We demanded that people can have a self-determined life. They are that they have the right to be able to hire who they want, to take care of them, where they want to live, how their care wants to be, where they want to work, if they want to own a business. Like they had control of that life. And then at the same time, we had person-centered planning with self-determination, whereas like a it's a it's an it's a a uh, meeting or a, I make mine an event, like a party, a life celebration party. Right. And you go over your goals and dreams for the next year. Yeah. And your fears and your house, whatever, whatever you want to talk about. It's your, it's you, it's self-determined. You got the floor. Right. Right. So I started working, you know, doing advocacy work with them. And then with Genesee health systems, community mental health. Like I met, you know, a lot of mental health is, I mean, mental health is going to be really big this year, like the last couple of years. I mean, with the pandemic, you know, I I met people that dealt with a lot of mental health, you know, barriers. So that's the other thing. See, like you start meeting other people with other disabilities, you know, from autism to, well, my stepbrother's deaf, but uh, people that are blind. And so you start to listen to them. Anytime that you're able to maybe speak, not speak for them, but like if you are somewhere and you want to talk about accessibility, you can at least bring up those things and then say, oh, yeah, by the way, I have a friend. Why don't you contact him and he can help you make your place, you know, more accessible for the blind or something, you know, because I can only talk so much to what I know. Right. But I always tell them just ask somebody like if you need to know like ask me for mobility things and stuff like that i can go through your place and check and assess it but um yeah i mean that was like that's the whole advocacy right. and then you just start to i i did mentoring and peer mentoring for other people with disabilities and their caregivers and it's just uh i i was there, there are huge advocates out there you know, right, they're out there. I mean, they're constantly on Twitter. They're, they're writing stories, you know. Um, but I did what I could do, you know, within our circles, within my state, with the, and it was all, you know, the focus was my advocacy work's always been the quality of life of a person. Right. So that's, and 
quality of life of a person also comes with like accessibility and education, everything. You right. know, jobs, owning a business, like proper representation. There's lots of stuff. Right. So yeah, I mean, so that's kind of like my that's where it all started. You know, the advocacy journey. Right. That's, right. It's been beautiful. I don't know. It's like it's fun to talk about this stuff because you start remembering. Right. You know, there's things that you kind of like forget. Yeah. And this uh this allows you know a lot of good information to come out. Yep. And it doesn't happen Absolutely. overnight. You know, this is a it's 23 no. years. So. <laughs> I can understand, you know, it's it's your life changed at the age of 20. 20 is the time when yeah. people have a lot of fun and whatnot. And uh, the kind of things you said you're grateful for are the things which people like us take it, take it for granted, you know, having food or able to run or walk or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. People take it for granted. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's so amazing to hear your uh, uh, the kind of involvement and how you're getting involved in helping others and empowering others. It's, it's really, really fantastic. So my next question is more of a, uh, I want to hear it from you because you live, you have been through this uh, tough journey. You know, when I was doing my research, it, it says that people with disabilities face through a lot of trauma, like you mentioned, uh, yeah. be it workplace related, be it mental health, be it uh, the way people treat them, et cetera, et cetera. So what are some of the some of the hardships, you know, pe uh, people with disabilities go through, which you have seen or experienced yourself? Well, I'm, I mean, there's there's so much. Um you know, I, I've seen a lot, you know, with right. other people, but even with right. my own experience, it's funny, we were just talking about this this morning too. Um, I could go somewhere when maybe it's my caregiver with me or maybe it's a friend or a relative or whoever is with me. And the person will be just sitting next to me, say we're at the doctor's office or we're somewhere at the rest, wherever we are, they'll ask the person that's with me, what happened to him? Like I'm right here, you know. Right, right. So you, a lot of times, you will find yourself getting like completely over talk. Like they just talk around you, right. And that's not just that situation. I mean, that's all. It happens. If you like, I've been, you know, where I went to a restaurant or went to, you got, the, you know, you're having, you're about to have a good time. You know, everybody's here, and you're about to order food, and they won't even ask. Like the waitress doesn't ask me what I want. They ask somebody else what I want. It's like. Or, which is like, ah, uh, and it brings the mood down. You know what I mean? Like, yep, yep, yep. You're totally invisible. But you don't want to be a, but you don't want to be a downer because you're about to have, you're, you're having fun. So you right. have to like know, like, how do I handle this situation? And sometimes I might not handle it the right way because I didn't, uh, I didn't raise enough awareness or education to them, right. or something. You know. Um, the other thing, I've had the a person just like yell at me like loudly like I'm not deaf it's not a, I'm a, it's not able to move like what would you like I'm like whoa like I'm not, I can hear you fine you know right. it's the other thing is like because I use a wheelchair they might think that I'm slow so then when I go and I speak and and can be very articulate they're like whoa wait I didn't even know how this happened like 
he speaks you know, like you know so it's like um some of the other things you know it's funny you should just like you should see the accessible parking battles that, that i've been on the fight for the accessible parking space <laughs> like you know i mean like like when you go places and there's accessible parking right you learn like there's hash marks what they're for they're on the side they're behind you don't park on those you don't put your motorcycle on those <laughs> you you um not to mention it's for it's to safely get out of the vehicle you know to get out get in right. um you learn about and people don't understand they'll just pull in and i'll be like okay can you move like oh no i'm waiting to pick up somebody well if you're parked here and you're gonna pick up somebody you you're not able to be parked here like well i have a i have a one of these you know one of the hang, hang tags you know they give away these accessible parking hang tags like they give candy away or something you know okay. you know they just go to this i think they it's either the secretary of state or the doctors or however it is they're just like oh my leg hurts here you go you know or whatever you know or something so that's a big like battle uh accessibility you know right. just being able to go just like a lot of people are feeling the 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 pause from this pandemic but that's a lot of times that's what it feels like for us to go places right when we want to go to a restaurant like we have to go through like like obstacles sometimes just to be able to get a meal just to be able to enjoy like everybody else you know and now everybody is feeling the the, the pinch there the, the the pause that we that we got to go through we I, that's what i'm saying like when people ask me about how did you deal like i've i'm the only difference is, is that there's you know something that's like you know killing people like that's the you know and it's contagious like those things but as but the lockdowns and things like that i i've i've you know i feel i've i've been in bed for 800 plus you know days and you know and that's what happens sometimes people with disabilities are not able to get out of bed and if they're not able to get out of bed what if they have a job you know but now the employer is like, well, you can't get out of work, out of job, or no, you can't get out of your bed, so you didn't come to work, so you, you know, we have to let you go. Instead of allowing them to work from home, which now is the case, <laughs> companies, big major corporations, had to pull out of their build, big gigantic buildings, and actually be forced to work at home. They had to figure it out. Before that. And before I opened my own business, I tried to get jobs. And the number one thing was, we don't have any position for you. I'm like, well, is there something I could do at home? No, we don't work. We don't have anything. Everything, every excuse that I ever heard is now came to light. Even the restaurants where I was like, I would like to try your food, but you're upstairs. There's any way that I could just order. You could bring it down to curbside. No, we can't do that. You do it now. Right. You had to survive. You had to adapt. You were forced to do it. But why not do that before? Why didn't you value me as a new customer, as a, right. as, as a person that could have actually have had your food, went on the internet, blogged about it, video chatted about it, 
and brought you thousands and thousands of customers. Right. So there's a lot of, you know, I've heard so many different comments, you know, that, oh, and not to mention, you know, it's a great question that you just asked too. So the Cobra Kai, the new Cobra Kai series, season three just came out January 1st. Right. I've already got people messaging me and say, man, it, like, you probably shouldn't watch it, Eric. So, spoiler alert, I don't, it, it doesn't matter. It's in the trailer. The guy from season two, when he fell from, uh, did you watch it at all? No, no, no. I have seen a couple of uh, episodes, that's so, all. So, this, this guy, one of the kids that does karate, at the end of season two, he falls from the top of the, like, in the school from, from one level down to the floor. So in season three, of course, he's paralyzed from the neck down. So the one guy from Cobra Kai, Johnny, the one, you know, uh, the one that fought Ralph Macchiano and the original Karate Kid, he's like basically there at his hospital room saying like, there's no, uh, using a wheelchair is unacceptable. Uh, calling them names because he was not able to move his body. Mm -hmm. That's dangerous. Not to mention like one time he lit his shoe on fire and thought that that would make him like get out of the wheelchair and stuff. There's right. another, there's other scenes where he's like picking him up and then he drops them because he's not able to move. I mean, like there's some very dangerous things that that movie has started out. And then mm -hmm. For him to just all of a sudden rehabilitate back out of the wheel, you know, not using a wheelchair anymore. He's back and he's almost in it and then he's fighting karate. Right. That is very, very dangerous because that's not how it is. Yeah. And that's going to make it a very, watch, it's going to, I'm telling you, it's going to make it really, if I was out in public and say a, a, a teenager was watching, that's a, it's definitely targeted a teenage audience. If they were watching that, they might go, well, he's just not trying hard enough. Right. You know, oh, he's weak. Because that's right. what it's promoting. It's promoting that you use a wheel, you're not able to move, you use a wheelchair, you're broken, you're weak. You know, you know, it's like not good. It's really not good. Right. They really they really gotta understand the things that they do. You know, when they do things like that, this is but this is nothing new. This is years and years and years of, um, you know, things like that. You know, uh, a lot of times they make movies with people that the person has a disability in the movie and the actor doesn't have a disability. So instead of them hiring just an actor that has a disability to just act, <laughs> they, <laughs> they get a person and then they have to try and act like they have a disability. Right. And it's okay to Hollywood, you know. And usually mm -hmm. those are the movies that end up winning Academy Awards. So, <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, so those are, that's what, this is the, I'm painting the picture of what it's like to, to live in the U.S. I want to say U.S. because that's where I am. <laughs> Having a disability. But there are, I mean, there are great things. You know, I mean, there's there's people out there that are also, listening their eyes are open the awareness is there but there needs to be better representation 
And that needs to be always not completely talked about. Like this story needs to be talked about all the time. I mean, right now in this country, it's legal. And I say legal to pay a person with a disability subminimum wage. Legal. Wow. Yeah. Because back in 1930, what, 32 or something like that, the subminimum act, uh, the government thought that it was a great idea to stimulate work for people with disabilities <laughs> to, to pay them less than what a person gets minimum wage for. So yes, completely in its by performance with the person that doesn't have the disability. Yes, it's legal. There was people this time finally when people were running for president, that was on their like agenda to to get rid of, you know, I saw like, you know, move minimum wage up to 15 and get rid of the, the sub minimum, you know, for people with disabilities. So yeah, I mean, right. so you have to think about that. And then the other thing is, is there's a lot of people that are in these in nursing homes that don't want to be there. They've been forced, right. there's nowhere to go. So I mean like, there, we have to see the value of a person with a disability's life. And this country has to show us. Like the people right. in this country have to say like, and they do that by action. You know, they hire people, they, you know, they support the businesses, business owners that have disabilities. Um, they uh, break down barriers, you know, they open their doors so that things are more accessible. They learn, they educate, they raise awareness. They become, I guess they call them allies, but you know what I mean? They, they also, you know, go out there and advocate with you. Um, you know, uh, they get involved. You, know, we, you need to see more, more people, you know, that are writers. That's the other thing. People that are writing the disability story or the narrative don't have a disability. So it's just... We keep seeing the same thing. A lot of times, it's a, a, a rich old white person, and they have all these caregivers out there, and they have everything. You know what I'm saying? Like right. vehicles right. and beds and medical stuff, and that's not reality. You see, when they see that, when this picture is painted, that's not reality. Like we are out here struggling, fighting, grinding just to get a wheelchair, just to get some crutches, because it's like everything goes through this medical like channel. Right. Or or a hospital bed or especially wheelchair transportation. You know, you right. had a fundraise. I had to fundraise for 30 months to get a new wheelchair accessible van. Like oh. all those different things. Like um you know look I mean especially with People have diabetes and, and the insulin. You know, I have a friend that has a child and I see everything that she has to go through. And it's just, it's, it's there's a lot. Like if, if the real stories were really told, because we, you know, they're always showcasing the highlights of a, of like what the person's doing. They don't ever let that person, like they say, yeah, that's great that you're able to do that. And what you did, you know, whether you were born that way or you were injured and what you did to afterwards, no problem. Like, you know, showcasing it, like, you know, saying like, these are the things that he's done, but give him that platform, give that person the platform to really say, oh yeah, by the way, 
we need more teachers. We need more people in legislative, you know, legislators. We need more writers. We need more, you know, video production people. We need more actors. We need more models. We need to, we need to see more television. You know, I mean, like, I should not be able to count how many people have a disability on TV. You know, that's not a, you know, or point it out. Right, right. I should be able to watch the commercial and it just be the commercial. Not go, oh, oh, you see that? I think I just saw a wheelchair wheel. I saw a wheelchair <laughs> wheel roll by. So those are things. I mean, we're getting better. We're way better than what we were when I started. Right. But yeah, it's it's a it's a uh, it's it's very difficult for me to even understand it, comprehend it fully because the things you're saying I haven't gone through myself. So it's a it's a uh, you know hopefully things are, will keep getting better and uh, we yeah. all will you know it, it it will be like a different scenario one day very soon I hope to have that uh, optimism. All right. So my uh, next question for you, Eric, is you know you you whenever I have interacted with you, you come across as a very strong and resilient person, right? If if nobody can uh, tell you that you have gone through so much of trauma and you have fought it and come out of it or whatever the journey but you know but it's not the same case with a lot of people with disabilities they they take it very hard and they go down the slope and they keep struggling so is there any is there any advice you give to uh, people with disabilities so that they can also be like you uh, strong and resilient um, great question. I mean, you know, it really depends on like what their situation is because that person may not have any circle of supports to help them. You know, they may yeah. not have any family that's alive. They may not have any friends. So they're like isolated. They're alone. So how do you tell a person that's alone that has nobody? That's like, let's just take it to the very worst case scenario. You know, right? they have nobody. So the other, so to that person that I would say, um, hopefully that they can get internet, you know, they can get on the internet and they can start researching their resources in their area, you know, something where they, they can figure out what resources are in their area, what support groups on Facebook, there's lots of spinal cord or, or, you know, on the same spinal cord, let's just say it's spinal cord groups where people are like-minded and they're going through the same struggles to where they could actually, you know, empower each other. Um, those are just some things it's with, you got to be able to get to that person. So if that person's there, how do they ever like reach out? How do they ever, how do they ever find that hope? You know, and that's, I mean, if the person's in the isolation and they're, they, they, they're just, you just, all you can hope for is that person all of a sudden gets on the computer or gets on something or talks to the person that works there and they share information. And then somehow somebody comes and sees them like a mentor. They, they need, you gotta like find supports. You have to find your circle of supports. You have to build it, you know, and that can be, a good, you know, group amount of, you know, a vast amount of people, different people, you know, doesn't have to be always family. So, uh, and then you just build from there. 
And somehow I know that the that that, that person's got to feel pretty hopeless because they're 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 in an institution or they're in a nursing home. So they're in a nursing home, and they're like 24 years old or something, you know, or something, and they're trying to. But they're they're this happened. They maybe they're paralyzed from the waist down, and they want to do something. They want to go out there and. They watch TV, so they get to see on TV what the world, what's happening out there. And they want to go, and they're there. They're like, I'm stuck here in this bed or stuck in this chair, like, you know, all those things. Somehow, we have to hope that they're going to find someone to talk to or they're able to get the internet service or something or hope that the people at the business that, the, that are taking care of them are able to offer, you know, to you know, offer these options or what's out there, you know, like something. It's every situation is so different, you know, and can they, at that time, they might be, they, they may be really strong, even if they don't have anybody or they might be really shattered. So, you know, building the resilience, they might have super strong resilience. They're just not able to like showcase it yet anywhere except in their bed, you know, where they're at. But um, that would be like the worst case scenario. I mean, like the, that's what I'm, I'm trying to come across, you know, because, but I, uh, people that do have circle of supports, then utilize them or people that have family or people that are living, say they're staying with their, their family for a little bit, you know, why they're getting better or where, or however. However it is, they could be born with that. They could be born that way. You know, like every situation is going to be different. I, it's, so you, know, you just have to hope or you find them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or something, or you hope somebody does. Or if somebody's listening, hopefully that person that's listening, if they ever come into that situation where they know of someone, or something where a person's struggling and they can be a service, then, you know, do it, you know? So those are the things that, that, you know, that, that I can think of. And then of course, you know, always getting involved. And if they're really out there, get involved man. And that's where, you know, where the empowerment comes from, get involved, do legislative change so that we can, keep fighting, you know, and then find other people that are like, you know, just like you are going through the same similar situations and that'll empower you. Right. Right. So, uh, Eric, you know, uh, I understand that every situation is different and people will have to find a support system, obviously, to get across this. Right. So uh, my next question for you is, you know, you, you are such a passionate and amazing person. You know, you have done you're doing so much of work. You have your brands, you have your speaking career, you do a lot of advocacy work, etc. So what, what drives you as a person at the moment? I, well, I survived and I, I think like servicing other people, like helping others. Right. I, I think that like, that's a big part. But I mean, I, like when I woke up today, you know, I always, you know, thank God for waking me up again to another beautiful day. And then, but I'm excited because today I was going to do the podcast, but I also get to work on my dream. 
You know, I get to work on easy awareness and inspire. Right. Like, why not wake up happy when you're be able to do the like what you love? Right. You know, right. and then maybe like I'm not gonna write any music today, or who knows, I might not write anything this week. But but I, it's still there that I'm able to still actually make music. Right. You know, or I'm able to put on an event and I'm fundraising for a house because that's the next thing I want to get a house. So that's my next fundraiser. I just got a van, took 30 months. That was called We Drive to Inspire, and this one's called We Live to Inspire. So that's exciting. It's like, okay, what do you know? What's the you know? What do we do now? How do we put it together? Do we find sponsors? Maybe I'll find a place. Maybe I'll find land. All those different things. So that all that stuff drives you. I think right. we have goals and dreams that drives you too. Right. Absolutely. You know. <laughs> but you ultimately, I mean. You, you know, you want to, you know, you know, the overall goal, you want to be able to, you know, have a full accessible home where you can just have nice, like, barbecues and stuff, just relax and still do advocacy, still build your business, still do music, have a family, you know, um, but make sure that you're, you're cared for for the rest of your life. Right. You know what I mean? Like, kind of set it up, set yourself up for, for, for that success. Right. You know, so you you got a lot of work to do. So that's the thing. I, I definitely I've I've, I've done things where I watch TV for like an hour or so, and then I'm like, why did I do that? <laughs> I have this to accomplish, and I just took an hour away from, getting this closer to this goal. Right. So, Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, so my next question is connected to that. You know, you yeah. have you are an established. I would like to call you a serial entrepreneur because with your brands into apparel designing, graphic designing, etc. So, tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey so far. Oh yeah, that's awesome. That's a great question. I love it. <laughs> so it started. So, my entrepreneurial journey started when Nintendo came out. <laughs> okay. Nintendo, way back in the 80s. Right. What I did is I started renting my Nintendo games out to my to the neighborhood kids. Right. And then from that <laughs> money, I built my Nintendo collection. Now, my whole collection wasn't built just on that. I mean, I also had to, like, I got allowance. My mom taught me about value of money, how to raise money, save money. I learned about saving money when I was a child. I mean, if I did chores you know, throughout the week. Then at the end of the week, I would get a couple of dollars, whatever the dollars were. Might have been like $3 for it. I don't remember what it was, but, you know, and then that went towards whatever I was saving for. So my entrepreneurial journey definitely started with Nintendo, renting them out. And the way that I figured, it's so interesting because I'm such a kid, like I'm in elementary or whatever it was. It came out in like 84 or something like that or, or whatever it was. And there was a video store that was right across from our neighborhood. So when I would go in there, I would watch and I would analyze, like I would see it's beta and VHS at that time, like how they would register thing, how they would do late fees. Plus on our own things, we did have a VHS player at that time. What happens if we don't rewind the tape? What happens if it's late? And what does it look like? The sleeves, everything. So I wrote out in this notebook pad, like, okay, I'll let you rent it for two to three days or whatever it was. If, if it's late, I'm going to charge you this amount of money. If it's late, if it's damaged, 
then I'm going to charge you. Like, I had it all put out. Like, I, it's amazing that I had this at such a young age because I felt so old. See, I always felt, I've always felt older because my parents got divorced when I was two, right before I was two. So I became the man of the house. Right. From then, I was always older than what I really was. I felt older. So that was the start. And then, of course, shoveling snow, mowing yards, you know, you know, like doing things you know, like in the neighborhood, whatever, just make make some money, make the hustle. And then the Detroit, it was like the Detroit News, maybe Detroit something. It was the newspaper, and they came to the neighborhood, and then they gathered us neighborhood kids. And this basically was we were going around door to door, knocking on doors, to get people to sign up for the Detroit paper, or whatever it was. So that's what we were. We were we basically salespeople, you know. So um, uh, and then from there, I did really good. And then so the journal here in Flint, they were looking for new paper boys. They heard I did pretty good. So I, I um, from one, one more to mouth, and and then they next thing you know, I'm I'm having a meeting at at my trailer. I was living at the trailer at that time. How uh. You know, with the Flint Journal, basically breaking it down that they would drop off papers. I'd, in the morning time, I'd have to bring them in, roll them with a rubber band, put them in a bag. If it was raining, I had to put them in like a plastic sleeve, you know, and then deliver them. And then afterwards, throughout the week, go and collect money from the people that had paper service. Now, it was all cool then, but I can tell you right now when I think about it, I was straight up pimped. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, how did they get away? How did they get away with that? And I have actually done this research where how did they get around child labor laws? If you Google about newspaper boys or, or girls, you know, child labor laws didn't apply and stuff. So I was like, oh, okay, that's what that's what's up. Okay. Because I was trying to figure it out. Right. How did that work? When there's 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 child labor laws, there's all these different regulations that you find out. Okay. So yeah, so I, I did the Flint Journal for like a while. You know, in the weekdays, I'd come home from school, the paper would be in my driveway, we'd break it down, and then I'd go in. I had a friend that you know joined me for so long. He didn't last very long, so it ended up being <laughs> just me and my mom. My mom helped out, and I'd roll the paper, put the rubber band, put it in the bag, and then you, you have to learn this skill. You got two paper bag, two newspaper bags, right? You put it on each handlebar of your bike. You got to balance your bike, man. It is not easy. Because right. all it takes is the weight to, to not be distributed properly, and you're right. gonna turn and you're gonna crash. So I go deliver the paper, af- you know, after school, and that was weekdays. And then I'd come back home, and then I had this little blue book with little boxes and stuff, like a ledger, you know, with people's names. And then I went and collected. So I, I, I got the I got it. I, 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 I it was dropped off. The supply was dropped off to me. I rolled it, 
I put it in bags, I delivered it, and now I got to go collect on it. So I'm doing like three or four jobs, you know? And so at that time, I heard every excuse. You know, my checkbook's in the other car, or I don't get, I didn't get paid this week, or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just a kid just trying to get, not to mention though, which is very interesting. So I think it was like once a month, then the person would come to my, my trailer. Then I'd have my little zip bag, the little bank bag, you know, that the money was kept in. And they would basically take the money, look at the book, you know, your, your ledger, your, your, you know, the, the records and stuff, and then give you like a cut of the money. They didn't give you a check. They just gave me some, a cut of the money. It could be like cash with some change. I mean, any of that. And I'm like, that's, that's why I say, man, I'm like, uh, that didn't seem right. And then, you know, what else? I remember the girl coming over and I remember her like upset because I wasn't able to collect. Like, well, you're just not doing a good job enough to get the money. Like I was being like, like pressured, like a salesperson, <laughs> but I'm a child because I couldn't have somebody because they said their check was in the other checkbook or, or whatever right. it was, you know? So that, that's not healthy. Like that, that shouldn't go around. That should not happen. Then of course, from there, you know, more yards, more snow, always just fight, figuring out a way, you know, figuring out your hustle. You know what I mean? And then, uh, and then, uh, middle school, same stuff, like whatever, you know, I learned how to, oh, roll craps, you know, roll the dice. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, I could throw some dice, man. I could throw some dice. So, so you know, and you play cards and you start learning that stuff. Um, I had a BMX bike. I raced for a little bit. So somebody <laughs> was like, you know, can you jump over four people? I'll pay, uh, like, pay me $10. So, you know, like, so, I'm, and, and sometimes I end up not jumping over four people. <laughs> <laughs> So there's all things like that. Um, just figuring it out. You know, you yeah. don't have you don't have the money. So how do you make the money? The other thing is, uh, by high school, that's where pagers were starting, and my yep. friend owned a pager shop. Now he was older than me. So what I'm saying, like that's why I said I always hung out with the older crowd. And so I started learning pager accounts. So I was able to make some money off of that, you know, make some money um, getting pager accounts and selling pagers or, or sending them there to sell pagers. You know? right. And then the cases came and there was accessories, so many other ways to make money with the mobile, you know, with the pagers. Right. And, and, um, and then I started working. I worked at Burger King. I, I, I hired it on a Whopper sale. <laughs> 99 cent whoppers fast food's hard man fast food's hard <laughs> anybody that wants to know about some hard work everybody shout out to everybody that worked fast food because <laughs> that is not easy and so right. and the interesting thing is is my mom worked at Burger King uh the whole time like she she worked there for years and my dad worked at Myers, which is like a, you know it's like a retail supermarket right. um and so I ended up working at Burger King. 
and then I would do co-op through the school. And then I just figured out, you know, so did the pager stuff, figured out other ways. And then uh, and then I started working at Kenny Rogers Roaster's Chicken. Working at Burger King and Kenny Rogers Roaster's Chicken. Yeah, one time I, um, by the time I was almost graduated, I was working three jobs. Oh, I worked the school store too. So I also got a chance to work at the school store. I didn't do good in school. Like, there wasn't any stability. We moved around a lot. My mom got married, so I went to this new, new, new neighborhood, new community, new school. Right. And, uh, but once the, I think at first the teachers thought that I was chaos. <laughs> but once they actually got to know me, they really realized that I had my my head on my shoulders, and the opportunity. Like, see, I got the opportunity. That was the thing. The the, the small business teacher who ran the school store, he gave me the opportunity to be able to open up the school store. And before you know it, I did it twice a day for him, five days a week. So I got to learn, you know, the like a supermarket or, or like a little mini mart. You know, it was pretty cool. Exactly. So I got to learn all that stuff, and then I, uh, from there, oh, and then I, I and then I graduated, and then I ended up working at Myers. So I ended up going to both places that my parents worked at. When I said I'd never would work at any of those places, I didn't work at their stores, uh, but uh, I ended up working the same jobs. Since in the grocery part, my dad was in the grocery part. I ended up being a third shift grocery stocker. Right. That was hard too. Um, and then before you know it, I went to college for photography. I was still working at Myers, and then I worked for American Collegiate Market Media, and that was a uh, advertising firm. So I learned, you know, advertising stuff. It was awesome. And then I was still doing music, so we're doing hip hop music with Miscellaneous. And then of course the shooting happened, and then, you know, it took some time, and then you know, and then the journey from after the shooting was the record company the entertainment newspaper, the internet radio, mentoring, and then opening up my own business, Easy Awareness by Design and having the Inspired brand. And that's, I would say that's my so far journey of, as an entrepreneur, you know, the different mm-hmm. things that I did right. dabbled in or, you know, tried and, you know, I, I tried things and if they didn't work, they, they failed. I just, you know, try them again or try something else. Right, right. From childhood itself, you had this entrepreneurial spirit in you, <laughs> doing yeah. BM, BMX bike stunts and Nintendo's and everything. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Right. So uh, to you know, uh, end our discussion, a couple of questions I have. So one is easy awareness by design Correct. and in, inspire two brands which you which is very close to your heart. So yeah. if, you, if we can talk a little bit about it, Inspire Instagram handle I've checked. Some fantastic collection. Everybody can check it out. It's a very uh, good apparel collection app, T-shirts and caps and stuff like that. So uh, both the brands, if you can talk a little bit about both of them, what they do and who are there to help you and what kind of work you do. Well, Easy Awareness by Design stands for Eric and Ziad Bring Awareness by Design. So Ziad is my business partner who's also the president of the D-Man Foundation. And so when that company launched in November of 2011, then we hired the, um, and then eventually we hired our graphic design artist who's, you know, with me all the time, Jesse. So that's the one that creates all the designs, everything. 
she's the one that's able to get into my head and put it down into like what it looks like. So, um, and then of course from there also, which was really cool when that business started, um, like my dad and my stepdad, uh, my mom, and stuff, like they, they're like help. They always like, they're always like willing to help. So like when I have a shop, a brick and mortar shop, I'm not there now because of pandemic and amongst my health issues that, that happened within the last three years. But, you know, if I needed some help with reading the vinyl, they would come in or help. They're like right now when we see, we don't, we have a printer as soon as we have a strategic partnership with another printing company. And so they do a lot of our volumes and our printing. So now we just like drop ship stuff to the printer. And then of right. course when it's done, uh, my stepdad a lot of times will pick it up or my caregiver, he'll pick it up because they're both out in the same area and they'll drop it off. So it's, you know, it's a team effort, you know, right. and, and, uh, and then from there, so that's the business. It's an incorporate, it's a corporation. And then we had other brands, but the Inspire brand is the one that stood out that we started focusing on. Not really, I mean, I was wearing the Inspire stuff when it started, but then we just started to how people reacted to it. We made it public, especially kids. And then we went to the Damon John Academy and we really got our focus on when we were there. You know, we had a website, we had stuff on the website, but we had no idea how to make sales. We, we had an e-commerce, so we had no idea if somebody purchased, so how do they purchase or where do we even see that? You know, we have a, a shopping cart. What's that? You know, all this funny stuff, man, that you just think about. It's like the growing pains of learning, of growing, of business ownership, you right. know. And so the next day, the next working day, uh, we took the website down and we opened up Shopify. And that changed everything. We actually were able to see how, where the sale is at, like when people are shopping, like <laughs> did they put stuff in their cart? Did they abandon the cart? Like, then there's much, much more stuff that they opt. I mean, you know, that's there. Right. So, yeah, I mean, like, and we were able to see it all the time, whether it's on our laptop or mobile phone. Right. The other thing that we learned was QuickBooks. <laughs> you know, we have QuickBooks mobile. Like, we didn't have that at first. We we were scanning invoices and sending it out to Z's company, and then they were putting it in the books. It was just like, you know, we were doing what we could do at that time, but slowly, we needed to start like being like get more efficient. That was the that was right. the goal every year is to be more efficient, right? Be more efficient and value always value our customers, always value them, show them their value, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean. And now the Inspire brand, and here we are. Here we are. It's 2021. Right. And it's grown. It's grown everywhere. It's like, I say, you know, it's like a seed, and it grew a tree, and then it grew <laughs> branches, and grew leaves, and flowers, or whatever else. It grew fruit. You know, and each branch and each, you know, piece of that tree is a person that supports it. It takes it onto a, its own, and they show what it means to them. It still stays positive. It still stays with the mission driven, but it's still, you know, it takes on all these different directions, but it's still, it's still focused on this, you know, the exact, you know, all the branches coalition with each other. So it's awesome. 
Fantastic, fantastic. I, I hope the tree keeps growing, keeps growing and keeps growing. Yes. <laughs> fantastic. So, Eric, before I leave you for the night, uh, one last question. This I ask most of my guests who come here. Okay. Since it is the pandemic season, how has COVID-19 impacted Eric and Easy Awareness? Uh, great question. Um, when the pandemic got the way it is and before we went into lockdown, I already had a plan put in place to go stay with my caregivers. So I left my house. I actually left. I had, uh, what did I have? Five pair of pants, <laughs> three t-shirts, one pair of shoes, one hat, one laptop, two pillows. Literally, I can count everything that I took over there. I like, basically just up and left my house. Right. You know, I li like everything what I had was in this like ottoman, like a little treasure chest thing. That was it, you know, for from March to the end of July. And uh, yeah, that, those times were, were rocky. I mean, like trying to figure things out. Um, uh, the first two months I spent uh, coordinating with senators that I knew, four people like uh, congressmen in D.C. about what happens with people with disabilities. Like, what are they going to do with this pandemic? What if a person is taking care of someone? They get, you know, they get COVID. How are they going to be cared for? What if a person's got to go to the hospital? And they need their caregiver. It's only one person. Can they come in? Like all these different things. So I was, and I was coordinating back and forth with the, our, our governor's office here, you know, and, and the people that she has put in place for like two months, and then my friend started. A, he has a 3D printing, a 3D printer, and I'm not able to wear face masks. So I'm like, what do I, you know, like, this is before the pandemic went into lockdown. And he was like, let me figure out something. So he came up with face shields. So then he came right, actually before the lockdown, he dropped off a bag of face shields. Well, he started this group called Operation Face Shields. And other people that had 3D printers, they started making them. Then other people start making them. Before you know it, they're making 30,000, 40,000 facials, and they're donating all of them. Sure. And this guy has got a plane. <laughs> like, hey, if we need to fly him anywhere, I got, you know, no problem. We can fly. He was my plane. So now this guy is offering to be able to fly him to other states if there was a need. If somebody was, you know, so, you know. So, yeah, these face shields, I bet you they're probably like, yeah. They probably are up at 80 or 90,000 face shields that's been given. Right. Yeah. So that was part of the pandemic. Right. And we shut down the business. The business got shut down from March to the end of July. Right. I'm not going to lie. I mean, when we opened the business up again, the bank was not looking, <laughs> the account was not looking, not looking promising. It was a very scary number. And I was like, I mean, if it happened for a few more months, right. we, we may have had to close the doors. I mean, like, because we filed for grants and we didn't get approved for anything. Right. Because when legislative put in for the CARES Act, they didn't have, like, a certain percentage goes for business owners with disabilities. They had race, they had gender, and they had veteran business owners. But they didn't have person with disability business owners. Right. So there wasn't an earmarked percentage that went to that. <laughs> Completely overlooked. 
we we filed for it. We thought for sure when we went through the application, we were like, we more than qualify. We we're like, we qualify for this, and then they're like, no, you've been nope, you don't. Like wow, like that's like you know, and then you see this company getting millions of dollars, and they're millionaires. <laughs> like how? <laughs> you know, when someone were looking at the business was not doing well, but the person that owned the business does very well. You know, so it's like. In my case, it was both. Both of them are struggling, me and the business. So, you know, like you have to look at that too. Like, okay, wait, they should be looking further into the person that owns the business too. And so, go, wait a minute. Um, you know, because they could say, like, wow, if that person's got millions, they might be able to, you know, pull out or, you know, improve it a little bit faster than this person. That's, completely struggling as much as the business. I mean, we were both on, right. both, were, both were struggling, man. It was, it was tough. We've been rebuilding and rebuilding and rebuilding it. Um, it's, it's building, but we need a lot more. So whoever's listening, man, if you go to the website, inspireshirt.com and make purchases, I appreciate it because you're helping me keep my business alive. You're helping right. it thrive. And and keeping people employed, you know what right. I mean? Like, and right. we we do stuff for other businesses. So I mean, like when people are going to our site and making purchases, we also work with other business owners with disabilities, micro enterprisers, and help them and mentor them and do like banners and and, and their letterheads and their branding and stuff like that. If we're not right. there. Who's going to be there for them? I mean, so we do a lot more than just our, like, you know, our own sales. Like when people buy stuff, it just doesn't, it just doesn't go to the business. It was a very long, it gets stretched. So definitely, uh, you know, anybody listening, support. That'd be awesome. Be great. It goes a long ways. Fantastic. So, fantastic. So that's how it's right. been. Uh, I can understand the pain. Uh, so, guys, if you are listening, check out easyawareness.com or inspireshirt.com, and they are fantastic products for you guys. If you are in the US, keep ordering, uh, buy for your family, friends, etc. etc. And uh, thank you, Eric, so much. I have taken too much of your time, and uh, it was such a pleasure listening to you. Uh, I could have listened to you more and more, I had more questions plan but it's too late part two. Uh, uh, and uh, part two we can do a part two for sure part two and uh, i want you to stay safe and take care of yourself i'll be in touch with you and you all too. the all the very best for easy awareness thank you you too thank you take care thank thanks take care thank you everybody. all right so that was eric guys if there is a definition of the word inspiration Mr. Inspire is the one. I am so grateful that I had this opportunity to chat with him, listen to this uh, podcast episode and try to support him, easyawareness.com, easyawareness.com or inspireshard.com. This is Vivek from the Thrifty Marketer podcast. Thank you so much for listening today.
Thank you for listening to the Thrifty Marketer Podcast. For more exciting episodes like these, please follow the Thrifty Marketer Podcast today. Now available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. See you next episode.